Our scripture reading this morning is from James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. Lord, would you cause these words which you have spoken to be heard and received, to be believed, and to yield faith, to yield hope, to yield life, to yield obedience, to yield love, to bear much fruit. I pray in Jesus' name. It's really good to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of James chapter 1. Before we dive into James, next week we are going to begin a new sermon series here at Redeemer through the book of Galatians. And um, very eager to um, dive in there. We'll be spending a few months in the book of Galatians. Today, before we go to Galatians, I want us to spend a little time in James chapter 1. And here's why I want to do this. We're at that season of the year where everybody seems to be looking forward, setting goals, having ideas, kind of forging and codifying new hopes. It happens in our personal lives. It happens in our families. Our bosses at work are doing it. Our churches are doing it. We're all saying, where are we headed? And so, what I want to do today is something a little bit differently. I want to shape a vision for us as a people that says this. We want the Lord to show us where to go. We want the Lord to show us how to serve him, honor him, obey him, glorify him, build his kingdom. Put all your churchy words there. We want the Lord to make that abundantly clear to us so much so that we're going to be a people who ask and ask again and ask again and ask again and ask again and ask again. So, so what I'm eager to see at Redeemer this year is a people who in our personal lives and our families and our church life and our corporate life and in the world are constantly looking to the Lord and saying, I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your direction. Let's be the people who believe that God is eager to make his ways known to his people and who ask for his wisdom regularly and persistently. That's the hope. So this passage says, asking God to make known his desires and his ways is our first step of faith. Asking God to make known his desires and his ways is our first step of faith. So let's spend some time in the passage and let's look at this together. Point one, wisdom we need. 
The verse begins this way. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now, typically in our southern evangelical subculture, we use the word wisdom to equate a big decision. And so what we hear there is, if any of you has a big decision to make, ask God. I don't think that's what James is talking about at all. At all. I mean, if you have a big decision, certainly ask the Lord. But that's not the passage, because if we interpret it that way, then what we're going to hear is, if any of you lacks wisdom, no, I'm good. Let's keep going. That's not the way to read this passage. In the scripture, so we need, to fit, we need to spend a little bit of time understanding what wisdom is so that we'll see how much we need it, so that we'll see how much we can't skip these verses. In the scripture, wisdom begins with God's word and moves to living as God's people. Wisdom is the how to think how to speak, and how to live as a Christ follower in real-life perplexing situations. Wisdom is the what do I do and the how do I move forward of walking with Jesus. When the Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what, what, what's ultimately being said is, if you have this question of the Lord, what should I do? How do I respond? Where do I go from here? How should I think about this? How should I pray about this? How should I speak about this? Any of those questions sound familiar to like yesterday? What the scripture says is God's wisdom is our direction to live his word in those questions. The word is the unchanging truth. The how do I do it now is, is wisdom. Wisdom is how do I think, speak, and live in this moment as a follower of Christ. So, sometimes... You know, we preachers like to be creative and we like to be clear and we like to put our spin on things, but sometimes other people just say it better. So today, I'm going to humble myself and, and quote to you a man named Alec Motier. And he said, if we take the Bible as a totality, there are three aspects of biblical wisdom. There are three aspects of biblical wisdom. Number one, Biblical wisdom is knowing how to apply truth to real life. Knowing how to apply truth to real life. Um, now, I want to spend a second here. Um, cerebral people love theology proper. We love to know things. We love to know things about God. We love to study factual realities about God and ponder them and stroke our chin and grow a beard so we can stroke more and, and sit around and, man, 
break our hand on the podium. Ah, okay. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, all I want to do this year is be able to grow my beard back out so I can stroke it and talk about theology. I love theology. Theology is good. Truth is good. What God has revealed is for us. But the end of truth never was our brain. The purpose of truth was a being devoted to God. Wisdom moves us to be people devoted to God. So our truth, our theology, if it stays in the abstract and in the realm of idea, we're not doing with the Bible what the Bible is intended to do. Rather, the theology and the truth is intended to move a people into faithfulness, into obedience, into faith, into love, into joy into walking with the Lord. And wisdom is knowing how that theology actually causes us to walk and to think and to speak and to act. So for example, when the scripture talks about God's absolute control of his world down into the most minute reality, the purpose of that was not a symposium on the sovereignty of God. The purpose of that was a people who would say, I can trust him down into the most minute detail of my existence because he's in control to that when the scripture says the word of the Lord is absolute and true and right and good and unchanging, the purpose of that is not so um, we can elevate ourselves because we hold the Bible higher than others, but the purpose of that is so that we would actually listen to it, receive it, believe it, and walk in his ways. You see, so wisdom moves us all the way. I don't know why you guys get to be action and you guys get to be stale theology, but that's just how we're going to do it. So wisdom moves us all the way over here. When the scripture says God is good, merciful, loving, kind, those realities aren't just so we'll sit around and go, oh man, that's so deep. But so we'll go, he's really good. I can trust God's motives toward me because, because he is good. I can trust God's work in my life because he is merciful and because he is kind. So wisdom moves us to living as a people of the truth. Second, wisdom helps us make the connection between our circumstance and God's purposes in the world. Wisdom helps us make the connection between our present circumstance and God's purposes in the world. Wisdom helps us connect the dots with this is occurring but because of what I know about God, I can see that this is why I am where I am. 
as an example, go back to the beginning of James, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So to whom is, is James writing? People who are suffering for the faith. And then this call for wisdom is to understand how their suffering fits into the purposes and the work of God. And then Motier's third thing, I just decided it's confusing, so we're not going to use it, okay? So wisdom is applying, is, is moving truth into understanding how to live as people of truth. And wisdom is, is making this connection between our place in the world and what God is doing in the world. On that level, then at every turn, we need wisdom. At every turn, we need to know what God's wisdom would be. The scripture certainly serves us in pushing us in the right directions. I am not trying to belittle scripture, but I'm trying to say scripture is intended to shape people and not just brains. We need God's wisdom. So, if you're in a hard relationship, what you really need is God's wisdom and how to move forward in that hard relationship. If you spent too much time with your kids over the last three weeks and you're ready to decapitate one, hypothetically speaking, what you need is God's wisdom and how to move forward as a faithful, loving parent. Kids, if you spent too much time with your parents the last few weeks and you're ready to deca decapitate them, don't. But what you need is God's wisdom and how to be respectful and humble and kind and live under the roof of your parents as a child of God. If your work is debilitating to you and every day you feel like, I can't believe that I get up, suck down some coffee, take a shower, spend an hour in the car, work for nine hours in a job that I hate, spend another hour in the car, groggily hang out with my family, crash, wash, rinse, repeat. What in the world am I doing? What you need is God's wisdom to show you how that connects to what he's doing in his world and how you are a part of that. If you're stuck in your sin, and, and, and no matter what systems you put in place, you just can't get moving forward. What you need is God's wisdom and how to navigate that sin in your life. If you're just lethargic and uncaring and apathetic and there's no Bible reading plan, there's no accountability group, there's no accountability partner that'll get you kickstarted, what you need is God's wisdom and how to move forward. We all at every point need God's wisdom. So before we leave this point, I want you to see wisdom, God's wisdom 
for godly living is our need. Second, I want you to see that God's wisdom is good. God's wisdom is good. There is competing, dare we say, air quote wisdom that is not good, but God's wisdom is good. Write this down. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See God's wisdom as good. And then third, ask for it regularly. If any of you lacks wisdom, what are the next four words? Let him ask God. I need wisdom. I'm going to ask God. So this will be our third point that we'll come to in a few minutes. So this drives us to our second point. Why should we ask God? Second point, God who gives. The verse continues, let him Ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, sometimes you need to understand the original languages to fully understand what's going on in a passage of Scripture. Right there, not one of them, okay? Let him ask God. Why should we ask God? Because he gives generously. This is a teaching about God to generate confidence in God. God is eager to give wisdom to his children, and he does so generously and abundantly. Next. He gives without reproach, meaning he never gives this wisdom through clenched teeth and with clenched Fist, but he gives wisdom joyfully to his children. All parents, who's convicted now? See, God never says, oh, sir, whatever. We never have that parental moment where, like, I can't think of a good reason to say no. So, sure, I guess you can borrow my car. Rather, says that God gives his wisdom to his children generously and without reproach. God is not bothered by our constant asking for wisdom to live as his children in his world. Let's just pause for a minute. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us tentative in our approach to God because we assume that he's like 
us as parents, meaning he's not generous to give and he does so begrudgingly. And I just wonder how much more freedom we would have in our approach to the Lord if we believe verse 5. Ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So I'm just assuming, and I could be wrong, that you're struggling to accept that. So I got a few things to help us accept that. Number one, Jesus told a story to teach his people how to pray that was about a persistent widow. You remember this story? I'm going to put it in the Jamie uninspired version to let my sin show through. But basically, this is what Jesus said. He said, there was a a widow who wanted something from a ruler, and she was just like a gnat. She would not go away. She begged. They shoot her off. She came back and begged some more. They shoot her off. She came back and begged some more. They shoot her off. She wouldn't quit. They shoot her off. And finally, the ruler said, because of your persistence, you've been heard. And I hear you and I respond to you. That's not just a good story. Jesus told that story to teach his people how to pray. Be persistent in coming to the Lord because he's not fallen like we are. He is generous and gives wisdom without reproach. Number two, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. So Isaiah is saying, what makes Yahweh unique? He works for those who wait on him to work. He does the work. He does the answering. His people see the need and cry out to him. Third, I give you the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? We are a rebellious, selfish, sinful people who have turned against God and his ways. And how did God respond? He sent his son into the world. His son took on human flesh. Why? To work for those who can't do it themselves. His son Jesus lived a life of absolute perfect holiness. Why? Because we couldn't live that life ourselves. And he offered his life of absolute perfect holiness as a sacrifice on a cross. Why? To purchase Our forgiveness that we could never purchase for ourselves. He was raised from the dead. Why? To defeat the power of sin and death that humanity could never defeat for itself. And he offered his everlasting life to all who would call upon his name. Why? Because our only hope of life 
comes from him. And then he ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns and he sent his spirit to dwell within his people. Why? So that we could walk with the Lord in a way that we never could in and of ourselves. The totality of the gospel is God works for his people because his people can't accomplish what they need in and of themselves. Our gospel is God generously and graciously works for his People. So if that's how we enter the family, is there any reason for us to not assume that that's how we navigate as family, as those who need God's wisdom, his direction, his help, and his peace? Friends, I want us to take seriously that it's God who gives. Now, This giving is for those who are in Christ. It's for those who have received the new life and the new position and the new place in the family of God. So if you have repented of your sin, believed in this Christ as Savior, been called child of God, then the scripture says God gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, you're not a child of God through faith in Jesus. We commend Christ to you today. We'd love to talk with you after the service to help you meet Jesus. So children of Jesus, let's learn to look to this God who gives. And there's a third thing in this passage. There's the people who ask. And that's our third point today. People who ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And then verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the passage says, Let him who lacks wisdom ask and not doubt. So let's walk through the passage. To ask in faith is to ask believing that God is for us because of Jesus. With no doubting, now this is one of those places where it helps to study this passage in the original Greek. There are multiple Greek words that could have been translated to our English word doubt. This one means without divided loyalty. Without seeking wisdom from the Lord and from other lords. What he's saying is let him trust God so much that he seeks wisdom from God and God Alone. That person is single minded, is stable, and will receive the Lord's wisdom. The person who is not is double minded, is unstable, and will receive nothing from the Lord. Uh, One commentator says this The doubting James warms about is not that of a person who wonders whether or not God will answer this particular request or that of an introspective doubter who struggles with faith. 
Instead, it's that of a person who is double-minded. In other words, this kind of doubter is a person who's not wholly committed to God, but plays it safe by praying. So as those wholly committed to the Lord and to his ways, even if we have intellectual doubts, even if we have emotional struggles, even if we've been hurt by life and potentially even feel hurt by God, the person who in faith runs to the Lord and says, work, answer, help, there's nowhere else to go, the passage says that person receives wisdom from So so as we begin to wrap up and conclude this sermon, what I am eager to see in my life and your life and our corporate life is a people who pray more earnestly, more fervently, more thoroughly, and more frequently. And I think that seeing that I believe that seeing at every turn we need God's wisdom and we're to ask for that wisdom will push us into prayer again and again and again and again. So what's my vision for this year? Not that you asked, but I'll tell you. A people who run to the Lord seeking wisdom more frequently, more fervently, more fervently, more passionately, more consistently. The avenue, the window into that is to see just how much it is we need God's wisdom. So what I want to do is I just want to assume that none of you know how to pray. I don't actually believe that, but for the next few minutes I'm going to assume that. And I just want to give you a simple way to pray. And then we're going to pray this simple way to pray. And in a few weeks, we're going to have a covenant gathering. And together, we're going to pray this simple way to pray for our church. And then in early February, we're going to have a night of prayer and praise. And we're going to pray this simple way of praying for our church. We're going to spend these first few months seeking the Lord and his wisdom. So when I pray, number one... I want to celebrate who God is and what he's shown to be true about himself. Number two, I want to confess my sin and look for confidence in forgiveness through Jesus. And number three, I want to ask. Ask what? I think we can boil most of our praying down to these two requests. Asking God to intervene powerfully and asking God to give wisdom to his people. Asking God to intervene powerfully and asking God to give wisdom to his people. So, you have a lost friend. You want them to come to know Christ. What are you praying? Well, Theologically, we know that without the work of the Spirit, no one can believe. So we're praying for God to intervene powerfully. But we're also praying for God to give us wisdom as to how we can be a part of that intervention. You got someone that's stuck in a rut of sin and rebellion and can't get out. What are you praying for? You're praying for God to intervene. And you're praying for God to give wisdom as to how you can be used of God in that movement.
You're without a job. You don't know where your next paycheck's going to come from. What are you praying for? You're praying for God to intervene and provide, but you're also praying for God to give wisdom of how to move and what next steps to take. Broken relationships, difficulty here, it all plays out the same. So we ask God to intervene, and we ask God to give wisdom. So here are some five realms of asking. So we're going to celebrate who God is, we're going to confess our sin, and we're going to ask. We're going to ask first for your life. For I'm going to ask for my, in my life, Lord, would you intervene and give wisdom in these particular ways? I don't think there's anything that we can't ask about. Second, there's a play on words here, so bear with me. We're going to ask for our church lives. That's L-I-V-E-S, meaning we're going to ask God's intervention and God's wisdom for the one another's within this covenant body of believers. You know somebody who's struggling. You're going to pray for God's intervention and God's wisdom in their life. Third, we're going to ask for our church life, meaning the corporate expression of the body of Christ that is Redeemer Church. We're going to ask for God's intervention and God's wisdom. Fourth, we're going to ask for our community, the people in the present, here, and now. We're going to ask for God's intervention and God's wisdom. And then our world at large, we're going to ask for God's intervention and God's wisdom. So if there's a particular pattern that you already use regularly in praying and it actually moves you to the Lord to cry out to him, to seek him, you go do that. If you have no idea where to begin, celebrate, confess, ask. Ask for your life, our church lives, our church life, our community, our world. Now, friends, I'm eager to see us as a people who depend upon the Lord.